This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by Land, Sea, and Sky and Zeiss Sports Optics. Zeiss is offering some very special incentives this spring on Victory SF binoculars and Harpia spotting scopes. Land, Sea, and Sky staff is working safely from home and products are shipping out daily. You have plenty of time to test out the optics too because Land, Sea, and Sky has an industry-leading 90-day return policy. Learn more at landseaskyco.com. Welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. I hope you are all staying healthy and safe. Uh, we at the ABA are still hanging in there, as I'm sure I hope you are as well. I, I, I can't believe that it was only two episodes ago when I first mentioned COVID-19 in this podcast. It has, in the time since, taken over everything it is the boring. It is the the only issue there is. Everything else exists merely in relation to COVID nineteen, and it will for the foreseeable future. So enjoy your favorite bird podcasts are now epidemiology podcasts. With spring coming on, I think that we're probably going to have to switch to identifying symptoms instead of female warblers. Uh, you know that that cough really sounds like it's coming from post nasal drip due to seasonal allergies rather than COVID. It's got, you know, it's got a real resonant quality. Sort of ends on a question. Yeah, do you hear it? <clears throat> when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, right? If you want some non-COVID stuff, I had the opportunity to sit on the other side of the mic recently with Sean, Scott, and Heather of the Foul Mouths podcast. You might want to check that out. It was the first time I'd ever been interviewed. I'd been doing close to 90 episodes of this podcast by now, but I had never been on the other side of the mic. Uh, But fair warning, the name is apt. If you are offended by language or or listening with kids, you know, maybe save that one. But it is out there. If you're not offended by that stuff, hey, this is a good podcast. I I appreciate what they're doing, and I thank them for the opportunity. More bird podcasts is great. And actually, I sort of lied. We, We do actually talk about COVID in that podcast for a bit. It's everywhere. And we're going to talk about it for this episode as well. All about it, the entire episode, and how COVID has changed the way birders do things for worse, for better, for everything. I'm pleased to welcome birding editor Ted Floyd and Brody Cass Talbot from Portland Audubon in Oregon for a pretty wide-ranging discussion of the many ways what we have had to do has had to change. And that is all after this week's Redbirds. This is your Redbird Focus for the beginning of April 2020. Some good stuff to report for the period, including the ABA's sixth record of European oyster catcher from Ellison, Newfoundland, following some pretty interesting easterly winds there. This is the second Euro oyster catcher in as many years for Newfoundland, where five of the ABA area's six records have come from. The extra one is from Boldier in the Aleutians, Alaska. We do have a couple first records to report. The first from Ohio, where that state's first record of hooded oriole was seen in Franklin County visiting a personal feeder near Columbus. This was the first real test of coronavirus twitching as the bird was in a private yard and the residents, understandably, were not keen to have visitors. The neighbor, however... Uh, let birders stand in the yard. This was sort of a tricky situation, and there were recriminations involved. I don't, I don't claim to know the details. Probably best that I don't, but not the best look it seems. Though this was in the early days of the COVID emergency. 
A North Carolina first neotropic cormorant was seen at Jordan Lake in Chatham County, thankfully at a publicly accessible marina where birders could spread out a bit. Otherwise, who knows what similar mishaps could have occurred. Uh, This was considered an overdue first for the state as neotropic cormorant has been increasingly seen across the East. In fact, even this year, there have been a couple states that have had records of neotropic cormorant. I believe the only states in the region without neotrop records are Georgia, West Virginia, and South Carolina. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, though I do know it has been really close to the first two. That is about it for rarities in the ABA area for the period. For everything else, please check out the Rare Bird Alert Hub at the ABA website, aba.org RBA. You can also find lots of rare birds at the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group. That is at facebook.com groups slash ABA Rare or on our Rarity Twitter feed at ABA Bird Alert. It's hard to look at anything these days except through the lens of COVID-19. The crisis has forced us all to take stock of how we do everything, and birding and birding community events are hardly unique to that. I wanted to talk about this new reality with a couple of people who have been thinking a lot about it in recent weeks. Uh, Brody Cast Talbot is a representative of Portland Audubon, Portland, Oregon, an organization that has been adapting to this situation in sort of novel ways. I thought some folks out there in their own bird clubs might be interested in hearing about that. So welcome, Brody. Hi, thanks for having me. And of course, if the uh, federal COVID task force has Dr. Fauci, we at the ABA have Dr. Floyd. Uh, Birding editor Ted Floyd, uh, frequent guest here, has been has sort of taken on the role of, of COVID point person at the ABA, at least publicly. You posted a lot of articles online about COVID and how we respond to that. Hello, Ted. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. I think there's a lot we can cover here, and I kind of want to come at this from uh, three perspectives. You know, First, how this emergency has highlighted birding as a good hobby for social distancing. I think we've all sort of seen that. Uh, second, how organizations have sort of adapted to this situation and kept the community uh, stable, at least. And uh, third, how this has sort of forced changes in the way that we bird, especially with regards to like whether we can even leave the house to bird. So does that sound good to everybody? Without our marching orders, sounds perfect. Good. <laughs> All right, <laughs> great. So, but first, I want to check in with y'all. Um, how how are you doing? Uh, hanging in there, Brody. How's how are things out in Portland? Uh, well, mercifully, the weather has cleared. Uh, Portland has a well earned <laughs> reputation of being one of the drearier, rainier places, uh, major cities in in the U.S. And so, we finally have had a nice streak of uh, weather. So, and we've we've been not a hot spot in the whole COVID um, yeah, thing, although we yeah. certainly are battling it as well. So yeah, so we're, we're doing pretty well out here. It's uh, we're finally getting into spring and things are getting pretty exciting for us. I had my first orange crown warbler and, and uh, purple finch nice. in the yard yesterday. So it's, that's a nice distraction as of right now, because we're, <laughs> yeah. we had our, uh, our stay at home orders come out on March 23rd. So we're a couple, couple weeks into it. Mm-hmm. How about you, Ted? I know that you've, you know, written quite a few essays on the ABA blog. So a lot of people who follow, well, what is the ABA blog anymore? Uh, so a lot of people who follow along there sort of know what's going on with you, but um, is Boulder pretty well locked down? Yeah, Boulder and, and all of Colorado uh, are pretty well locked down. But uh, as Brody just alluded to, uh, spring marches on yesterday evening. My daughter and I had our first uh, yellow-headed blackbird of the spring at a cattail marsh. And then a um, just right by our house, a um, 
a nice little emergence of 12 spotted tiger beetles. So uh, those came out <laughs> yesterday as well. We had some really warm weather yesterday. So it's, uh, it's yeah. encouraging that, that spring carries on. Uh, certainly life is a bit different. I, I think, uh, well, certainly, you know, Nate and many others may know too, that um, I was working out of the house long before working out of the house was ever <laughs> yeah. a thing. But yeah. uh, all of a sudden now the, um, the house is a little bit like an office. I've got a kids in middle school and high school who are, you know, <laughs> in school right now, but in the house and yeah. my wife is working out of the house as well. So, yeah. um, it's a, it's a big, uh, actually a little cozy, busy, yeah. cheery place around here, but, uh, the birds continue and we're, we're fortunate that uh, we live, um, I mean, not only within walking distance, but practically a stone's throw of a really nice little birding hotspot, greenleaf preserved just down the street. So I've been able to get out there and uh, with a mask and with hand, uh, sanitizer and uh, practicing safe distancing, been able to do some, actually quite a bit of birding right around the house in the neighborhood. Yeah, it is funny. My kids are home as well. It's like, uh, it's like uh, working in an office with a bunch of extremely needy coworkers. It, it, I hear you. <laughs> we'll have to uh, swap uh, techniques for that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if mine work. I'll tell you. Um, so, but I, I think a lot of us have seen, you know, been, we've been spending a lot of time online lately. And I, I think we've all seen the sort of interest in birds growing. I know that we've talked about, you know, a lot of articles written in major publications about how birding is sort of this perfect hobby for people who are stuck at home, maybe watching a bird feeder. Do you think that this sort of COVID situation has the potential to change the way people approach birding, this hobby? Is it is it something that, you know, we may see people interested in it beyond this emergency? I'm curious to, to hear your takes. On one hand, I think we'll see what happens once uh, sports, sure. you know, come back. That's um, a good point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I you know, to us, it can be hard to give ourselves some distance, some perspective, you know, on how the rest of the world sees it. But mm -hmm. certainly, I think, you know, as you all are well aware, being emissaries of, of birding, it's so fascinating and, and enriching to us that we wonder how to share it with the rest of the world. Uh, and now folks really are pretty short on on. Um, <laughs> options for for yeah. going out and you know you can't play basketball you can't uh you can't watch basketball you, um we're a basketball town here in portland that's right no i hear you Same yeah here. And, yeah and uh so yeah I, I think that's the hope um and also just a way that especially there's kind of an interesting part of of how this is happening there's never a good time for this uh, but it's interesting that it's happening as as spring migration is ramping up and yeah. people are noticing on their own that when they walk outside, there's a lot more birds singing. And I've had a couple friends tell me, wow, there's birds everywhere right now. Um, <laughs> there's birds and, everywhere all the time. You're just <laughs> noticing them now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but of course, you know, there are uh, just a lot more birds singing and, and uh, flitting around, you know, building nests and all of that. So it is yeah. sort of the perfect opportunity for folks to take stock of, of what is always around them and, and, and hopefully also realizing, I think a, another big part of this has been the people are realizing the mental health uh, benefits of mm -hmm. spending time outside, stopping and slowing, you know, the mind and, and concentrating and because birding to me is a very meditative process. And so hopefully there's people are, are seeing some benefit to that as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, that, that mental health aspect of it, I think, is really, really nice. You know, you get people the opportunity to kind of focus on things that aren't necessarily right in front of them. Um, and maybe you see this whole world that we've sort of been aware of that's kind of moving on, you know, more or less normally for the most part. 
Brody mentioned the uh, meditative aspect to, to birding, and I absolutely um, know what he's talking about, and that's a, a big deal for me for sure. There's an interesting and sort of a challenging flip side to it, which for me is seeing all of these people um, basically by themselves or as couples birding and my not being able to uh, sort of charge right up to them, introduce <laughs> myself. And in some cases, I can overhear the conversation. Actually, I'll just share a really quick anecdote. A couple who I think was absolutely brand new to birding uh, had found their way to the best possible place for separating out the waterfowl. And I, you know, I'm not talking about you know distinguishing you know female gadwall from female mallard, but really basic stuff like pintail, greenwing teal, I, the, the, the drakes. And um, I could overhear the well, honestly, the mistakes they were making and <laughs> I just sort of shout at them, you know, at, at quite some distance, <laughs> no, that's a shoveler. And, you know, the response was, thanks. How do you know that? And again, you'll shout, and this was much more than six feet. This was about 60 feet. Look at the green head and the orange sides. And uh, we were both sort of laughing about it, but, uh, you know, it would ordinarily have been sort of this very sort of quiet and reserved and proper discussion among birders, you know, always sort of stereotypically <laughs> whispering and moving quietly was this uh, good natured shouting match on opposite sides of a, of a view of, of a viewing platform. And, you know, I wish somebody could have videoed it because it was in some ways, all the things bird watchers would never do, you know, shouting. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was just going to say like, this might put the, the lie to the idea that if you're really loud, you'll scare away the birds. Cause I was going to ask if the, the ducks care, I guess you're in a public park. So they probably yeah, didn't. They didn't care in the least, yeah. but yeah, I just couldn't help sort of but chuckle at how um, everything that, you know, again, the proverbial fly on the wall or, you know, just sort of, you know, a cameraman up in the tree would have been noticing was just uh, antithetical to what we think of as the, the normal way for bird watchers interacting, you know, sh shouting, not whispering and sort of, you know, pointing and shrieking and <laughs> being very <laughs> conspicuous. So uh, times are very different. That's that's for sure. Yeah. The the irony, of course, is that, that we're not really in a position, you know, it, I, and another time you might say, well, you know, there's a Boulder Bird Club meeting, whatever, the second Tuesday of the month. Uh, why don't you come on out and meet some people? And that's not really an option anymore, at least not for the, the near term. So how do you get people to sort of continue that interest in birding? And and that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on, Brody, because you've been working with Portland uh, Audubon in Oregon kind of trying to adapt this situation, how have you, what ways have you found to sort of encourage people to, to further their interest in birds without sort of the classic bird club meeting, bird club talk way of doing things? Yeah. So it's been an interesting challenge, especially the speed with which this all changed. <laughs> yeah, no um, you know, just as a, as an example of that, I was leading a trip for Portland Audubon down to uh, the lower Rio Grande Valley and it was supposed to be back-to-back -back trips. And the first trip went out. And when the first trip went out, it was there was no travel restrictions or even advisories. <laughs> and we went out and we had a great trip. And by the time the second trip was supposed to start a week later, it was a very clear, like, you know, we can't do this. And, and we had to postpone the trip. And so, yeah, it all happened so quickly that we had to really do some head scratching about how to continue to engage our community. And so obviously a lot of classes are so we do a lot of uh classes on basic birds you know birding by ear stuff like that mm -hmm. those are all moving online we're trying to also do uh similar to the virtual birding club that aba does create opportunities for folks to uh, interact online you know we have a a local birds beers group that also is doing these sort of we had a uh 
online a Zoom meeting trivia night the other night. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, that was pretty fun. Or, you know, uh, had a watch party where, of course, we were watching uh, Jason Ward's uh, excellent show, Birds of North America. So there's, I think that what we're noticing, you know, on one hand, it was a, a disappointment that this is happening when we are normally the busiest that we are all year. I'll bet, uh, yeah. You know, we at Portland Audubon, we normally do uh, free community bird song walks six days a week, every week in April and May. And they're really popular. And so, of course, this happens and we have to cancel all of those. But it also, I think the opportunity that it gives us is that there's so much pent up interest and demand right now for this sort of stuff that really, you know, whatever you put out there, people are going to want to see and and um, be a part of. And so that that does give us a, a lot of opportunity. Yeah, we're trying to do just ramping up a lot of uh, social media stuff across the board from just little short Instagram stuff to longer classes to, you know, free content and programming. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, we've we've kind of done the same thing at the ABA. That's You mentioned the virtual bird club. Um, that's something that in my mind, like had been in the back of my head for a long time. And then all of a sudden this emergency happens and it's like, well, what do we have to put online now? Well, I guess we'll just kind of ramp this up and, and kind of figure it out. But it has been great to, it really feels like people are, are super appreciative uh, when you provide that sort of content, when you provide that sort of outlet, as you say, have you seen, have you seen more engagement in the Portland birding community? In a way? Yeah. I think some of the, um, stuff that we're putting out there is especially it's funny for us because it's a learning experiment, you know, doing online classes. Mm-hmm. We're used to having, you know, we have this really nice um, facility up at Portland Audubon and we're used to having classes up there and doing these field trips out in person. And now right. of course we can't do that, but the interest, you know, there's so much interest in the online classes that we're realizing, wow, maybe we should have been doing this a while ago. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. And so, yeah, so that's, we are seeing a lot of, a lot of pent up demand. You know, we were, I was thinking about the other day, if, if this had happened during November, December, we probably just would have all folded up shop. It's true. It's Um, true. Because especially here, it's, it's pretty miserable in those months. But, um, but yeah, folks are, are need not just, you know, entertainment, but also everyone's birds are kind of on everyone's mind right now. Yeah, it's true. There's, there's definitely a lot of, uh, interest and, and motivation among birders to, to get out and do this anyway. Have you seen anything like that, Ted? Yeah, to maybe sort of build on what, what Brody has been saying, the um, sort of a transmogrification of uh, bird watching from a, a group and field-based activity to sort of a, a, a virtual and you know, digital internet um, activity is one that has really come online amazingly quickly. Online. I just, is that yeah, a couple, no of really, right, right, a couple of really fast uh, examples here. Um, I think next week I'll be, um, guest lecturing by zoom, uh, for a, a bird class at the university of Colorado. So, you know, I'll be talking about the birds of Colorado to a sort of a general interest, you know, all majors biology class. The, uh, the nature conservancy is also going to have me be doing one of their, uh, they used to be brown bags in person with, you know, a group of, I don't know, 30 or 40. And now, uh, they're opened up to a much larger group. So I'll be talking mm-hmm. to potentially hundreds of people, um, about birds. And um, I was just on the uh, the phone uh, earlier today with uh, Colorado Public Radio uh, looking, for, you know, that the, they're interested in content about, you know, sort of how we can continue to 
you know, sort of stay interested and engaged. And needless to say, we'll be talking about birds. So there's something about the, and Nate, I imagine you were going to get to this anyhow, but just the uh, the ubiquity, the immediacy, the availability, the accessibility mm-hmm. of birds. Um, I don't mean to uh, pit bird watching against other hobbies, but yeah, if you are an ice skater or a, no, we have a friend who's a swimmer and she's trying to quickly build a swimming pool in her yard. Mountain biking. I, I mean, these things are difficult to do. Um, yeah. you know, my, my son, who's a mountain biker, can't really go to the sorts of places where you know he needs 25 miles of trails because those trails are closed um yeah. with bird watching there's actually an awful lot that can be done you know from the backyard so again i don't mean to you know apply any superiority of bird watching but the, the accessibility the ubiquity um you know the three of us could if we wanted to you know open up our windows now and just start calling out the uh, the names of birds that we're seeing and hearing and again that's i, I get that it's disappointing we can't go to our favorite refuges we can't travel you know, I haven't been out of the county in <laughs> two months, and I have no yeah, idea when I'll I leave the, in, in my small part of the eastern part of the county as well. So there, there are changes for sure, but um, boy, birds really are accessible, and I think that um, the, the broader public is really tapping into that reality. Yeah, I, and I bet uh, between the three of us, we could actually probably come up with a pretty good list because you know we're in three different parts of the continent. I bet we. Yeah, well, just for fun, I, I guess I'm going to put you all on the spot here, but <laughs> right, I can right. tell you that um, since we've been talking, I have heard Says Phoebe, Eurasian collar dove, blue jay, and black capped chickadee. So uh, yeah, that's see, I, I have the blue jays. Uh, okay. I have Carolina wrens singing. Um, I have red-billed woodpeckers calling. In the woods behind the house, I had a prothonotary warbler wow. in a little stream, wow. little seep, like mm-hmm. that I, I would never have expected to be able to hear from the yard. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but it's right on time. This is when they start coming up. And uh, I've got house finches trying to build a nest under my eaves once more, which is uh, kind of <laughs> obnoxious. How about you, Brody? Uh, mostly watching some crows trying to build a nest in my backyard. But oh, cool. uh, I, I think other than that, right now, I've my the only thing I might have that uh, that neither of you do is some Oregon juncos taking a bath. Um, there you go. So yeah, our juncos have been gone for a while now. Uh, I, I was taking a walk around the neighborhood with my family the other day, and I noticed I found a, a red-shouldered hawk nest uh, that I didn't know. I didn't know, but I you know obviously I found it because the babies were sitting on top of the nest screaming. The adults were trying to get them off. Um, and it, I mean, it was great. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on that I might not have, you know, I might've gone somewhere else. I might've gone a couple miles down the road uh, and I've been kind of stuck here and, um, there's a lot of neat birds around. It's been very cool. By the way, I've seen two, uh, life insects in the past three days and, and, oh, yeah? and they've both been quite spectacular. I mentioned one earlier, the, um, the 12 spotted tiger beetle. And then just uh, two days before that, a, a satyr comma. So that's, uh, you know, the, the commas are the butterflies with the little mm-hmm. white marks under the wings, but the, uh, the satyr comma is one that I had not knowingly encountered before. Hmm. All right. Yeah. And, and I've, I've sort of found the same thing with the virtual bird club that we've been doing here at the ABA, not to kind of toot around horn, but it's been really gratifying to see so many people joining us. We've had, you know, not everyone comes and stays for the entire hour and it's what you sort of expect with something like that, but a lot of people do. And a lot of people have told us that they really enjoy it. And, um, as you know, Brody kind of suggested, these are things that will probably last even beyond this current emergency. I feel like that's the sort of thing that we'll probably try to do, um, even beyond, even beyond this current situation. Um, maybe not quite as often, but certainly, uh, something we'll be doing. Um, has, has Portland Audubon sort of found the same way? Are, are, are they talking like a lot of these initiatives that you put into place are things that you're going to want to continue? 
Yeah, I think we're still in the phase of trying to see what what the demand is going to be across mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the different things that we're doing. But I do think that, you know, I do wonder uh, after we're, we are allowed to go out and, uh, you know, yard birding right now is is obviously uh, what everybody's doing and everybody's interested in. And, and my my yard list is the best it's ever been for, uh, for a, you know, <laughs> three week period. But uh, but I do wonder, you know, once um, once folks are able to go out and travel again, if there's going to be a, a massive, uh, you know, a massive push for for more birding, longer birding trips and getting away yeah. from home. But certainly, yeah, I think it's been a it's been a nice excuse to be innovative and yeah. um, change programming and, and teach ourselves a lot of new skills and and really just adapt pretty quickly. So, you know, I think out of every uh, crisis, there does come some some positive uh, developments in terms of what you learn from them. And so, yeah, I think we, we're trying to focus on a lot of those positives and, and developing new products and skills and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking uh, like a hardware question, like what are you using to do these meetings, these trivia whatnots and, and things like that? Yeah. So pretty much uh, all zoom. Um, yeah. Yeah. For, for a lot of this stuff uh, because, you know, with, with the, because they just have so many different options. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, now we're all, it's like we all learned how to use Zoom last week and we all learned how to <laughs> be safe using Zoom this week. Uh, yeah. you know, Zoom bombing being the newest uh, newest phrase being uh, learned by everybody all at once. Right. Um, yeah, that's uh, mostly what we've been using. So that's, that's really great. And I think that a lot of, um, you know, bird clubs will be happy to hear that. You know, I think we're all sort of, a lot of them are sort of searching for ways to to build to continue this community and keep it sort of stable and keep us you know together and focused on birds uh, for the time being. So yeah, it's really neat to hear what what a big organization like like Portland Audubon has done. But I I do want to talk about you know birding in general and how you I don't know you, there's a lot of sort of social pressure to maybe stay home to not leave the house. Um, Ted, you, you talked about you go to a local park. Do you think that there is a way to get out and bird uh, away from your home in a socially responsible way? Right. So I am, I'm going to sound like a uh, total bird watching partisan here, but um, (laughs) I've noticed so many, um, I don't know, violations, I, I guess, if you will, of the, of the governor's orders uh, while I'm out there in the field, except as it's practiced by bird watchers. I, I think that there's something about bird watchers that just sort of predisposes them to um, staying on the trail, you know, sort of avoiding other people. They typically aren't in, 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 in bigger groups. They're, they're really behaving well out there so you're um, saying that bird watchers are antisocial <laughs> and or they uh, respond well to guidelines and strictures the they, they, yeah, they, right. they 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 know the positive rules what, whether they're listing rules or the governor's orders so yeah i'm really picking up um on that i've i've seen some friction and some tension out there but it's not bird watcher to bird watcher it's not bird watcher to others it's not others to bird watchers. So I think that uh, bird watching is really sort of bringing out the best of us, um, the, the, the best in us uh, out there. And I'm, uh, I'm encouraged and, and gratified uh, to see that. Uh, also, just sort of while I'm um, <laughs> commenting here, I, I also wonder how much of that will um, result in sort of a, um, maybe a change in the way that we go 
bird watching when all this does um, resolve itself, you know, ideally sooner than later. I read a report just this morning on how um, maybe Americans should stop, stop shaking hands altogether, uh, that, that, that even if it weren't for COVID-19, that an incredible number of flu cases, I never realized this, are actually created by the shaking of hands. And, you know, we may become a society that, you know, I know for hundreds of years has always you know, extended the right hand of fellowship or whatever you want to call it. We may stop doing that. So, you know, when we, we'll keep on bird watching. I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. But, you know, if we check in a year from now or two years from now, or especially five or 10 years from now, I wonder if bird watching will be a different enterprise um, because of what is happening to bird watching right now. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, before this whole, before everything blew up, I gave a talk at uh, a bird club in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, I went down there and this was sort of in the early days of COVID when people were talking about, you know, maybe we should we should practice social distancing. You shouldn't shake hands. You should be conscious of where you are around people. And I went down there and it's just like, it's funny. Like, it's amazing to think about how quickly everything happened because this was like maybe three days before they shut down the NBA season. So mm -hmm. you realize how quickly things accelerated. But I went down there and I was planning on not shaking anyone's hand. And I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I, I said to myself, I'm not going to do it. I met a couple people from the bird club for dinner, like you do before a talk. Uh, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not shaking anyone's hand. I'm trying to be you know, conscientious of this. And they were fine with it. And then we get to the bird club and I had some AV issues that I was trying to solve and people come up to you and they want to say hi and they offer your hand and just like reflexively you do it without thinking about it because you're thinking about so many other things. And it, it, it made me think about how, how pervasive that stuff is and, and whether or not we really can, you know, kill it off. Um, I would be fine with that. I don't really care shaking hands one way or the other. It's not a big deal, but it is, it is funny. And like every time I sold a book, like someone wanted to shake my hand and say, thank you. And, you know, after a while I just said, forget it. Like I'm, I'm just <laughs> going to have to forget it. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the proof will be in the pudding, you know, I, again, as I said, a year or two or, or five or 10 yeah. years out and, and I don't, um, Certainly don't want to. Uh, you know, I guess I'm going on record because you all can hear me. But yeah, I, 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 I have zero confidence about the um, the actual likelihood of a change in, in the way we bird. But I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised by it if you know if in the year 2030 we look back on 2020 and say, oh yeah, the reason we do things this way is because of what happened in in March and April and presumably yeah. June and July of, of 2020. So um, I guess I, I have an open mind about it. But I, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those sort of uh, inflection points and. In, um, in birding and, and probably in all of human history. Yeah. I know Oregon itself has like a huge and very active birding community. How has, how has Oregon dealt with people who are still going out and birding? Are people trying to be, you know, are there arguments against it, you know, the classic kind of listserv rumbles uh, between people saying, Oh, you stay home and, and bird from home only versus you know, there's a way to go out and bird without spreading things around. Like how, how, how does that community deal with it? Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, I haven't seen any real uh, shaming going on. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, well, with one with one major exception, you know, obviously, we're blessed in the West with lots of space, uh, yeah. and somewhat low density. But you know, the first weekend of the uh, shelter in place, uh, actually, at that point, it was a suggestion. Um, mm -hmm. We had a really nice weekend. And it was kind of, the, you know, one of the first nice weekends of the year. And so uh, loads of people went to the beach and the, the coastal towns were really <laughs> unimpressed. Um, yeah. and you know, we, we sort of always have this tension in Oregon of Portland being the big city. Um, <laughs> you know, I think 
in the suburban or in the metro region more than half of the state's population. And so, um, so all these small towns kind of felt flooded and didn't want, you know, other germs coming in. And so there, so that happened on kind of a statewide level, not just in the birding community. And Mm. so I think that most birders have really self-policed a little bit and most folks are just contenting themselves, staying very close to home, whether it's, I've heard some birders say that basically they're only going to be backyard birding this Mm -hmm. month. And, and we're all kind of figuring out our own comfort level. So, you know, most people I think are still driving the 20 minutes to uh, the place where you see mountain bluebirds and say Phoebes and um, which are, we only get in migration here. And then, you know, you can see that on a, on a wider scale. Uh, I write the rare bird alert for Portland Audubon and just for fun, I did a back of the napkin calculation and saw that, um, you know, rare bird reports were down by about 40% compared to this time last year. I've uh, noticed that as well. Cause I do the, the rare bird thing on the, on the ABA website. And I, I yeah, I've, I've, I noticed the same thing. It was a little slow anyway, but like the last couple of weeks have been very slow when you would expect a lot of birds being seen. That's really interesting. We had another another factor is we had a number of talented birders doing big years last year, and, and uh-huh. uh, yeah, so they aren't doing that this year. But but it's also it's a great year. I'm I'm happy for all of the folks that decided not to do big years this year because it would have been the worst year possible for it. So, um, but yeah, I think most folks are are staying home, staying close to home, and yeah. working on their patch. Hey, Brody mentioned um, the birding community self policing itself, and I don't in any way mean to. Uh, um, contradict that point. I'm absolutely observing it in Colorado, but I just also want to make sort of the, uh, the complimentary point that, um, strong leadership can make a difference as well. And I'll cite two, uh, examples. Um, the first is our governor, uh, Jared Polis, who right from the outset, you know, in a gentle, but I'd say, you know, pretty forceful way, um, was clear about the, the imperative to, to practice social distancing, to stay at home. Um, I, I don't, again, I sound like a Colorado partisan now, but I, I'm really struck <laughs> by just how, emphatic and 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 unavoidable the messaging has been from 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 the state and, and from communities as well um another form of leadership i just want to mention here is a a call out to our state ornithological organization the uh, cfo or colorado field ornithologists the um they still put out a daily rare bird alert and the um the header language is is quite strong it it says that chasing birds is illegal and and actually i think that is a correct interpretation of the governor's orders. You are allowed to go out and get exercise and watching birds, if you're walking and otherwise you know, perambulating, it certainly constitutes exercise. But um, a CFO uh, says on a daily basis that, that the chasing of birds is illegal. And again, I can't argue with that interpretation uh, in the context of the governor's orders. So I think that the, uh, the combination of uh, strong leadership from the state of Colorado and strong leadership from Colorado field ornithologists is promoting uh, good behavior by birders. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually challenged this morning on this very issue because uh, a state first was found in North Carolina. So I'm speak. We're, we're all speaking on on April 9th, um, which is about a week before this podcast will be released. And uh, this morning, a, a neotropic cormorant was yeah. found at a, a reservoir near Raleigh. Uh, where, you know, a large portion of the, you know, the Raleigh-Durham Triangle areas where a ton of people live, a lot of birders there too. And so this bird was, is a first state record, sort of an overdue one, one we expected, but has never shown up. And someone finally found one and it's at a place where you can actually access it, but it is by a reservoir. So you can go to this marina where it's being seen and like 
appropriately social distance. And I have not seen any photos from the scene uh, where this bird is. I know a lot of people have gone after it today. Um, so I don't know whether people are. I hope they are. There's a you know a rare bird group me chat that we maintain. And I just sent out a quick message when it was reported like, hey, make sure everybody is doing the appropriate thing. Don't share scopes, et cetera. But uh, yeah, it, I, I, I actually, before I reported it on the ABA rare bird alert group, I had to stop and like kind of think, like, is this something that I should be doing? <laughs> because like, I, I don't necessarily need to chase this bird, but I do like really knowing about it. Um, I can live vicariously. I'm fine with that. But um, a lot of people are going to go after it because it is in a high density area. And it was, uh, it was a, a difficult situation for me a little bit before it, that decision was made for me and it ended up going out all over the place. It's, it's funny. I had a funny coincidence on the same thing where a couple of weeks ago I was writing the rare bird alert. And of course, you know, a weekly rare bird alert is not, um, does not serve the same purpose now as it used to. Right. It's more just sort of a recap, but even so, you know, the purpose of the rare bird alert telling people where rare birds are most likely so that they can, if they're interested, go and find it. So I was writing the rare bird alert and I thought to myself, you know, probably we should put some sort of, of disclaimer or something. And yeah. so we, we basically um, just linked to the governor's uh, stay at home order um, mm, and put that idea. at the very top. And we still have it at the top of our rare bird alert. And an hour after I submitted it, um, uh, the story came across from, you know, Google news or something about uh, a ring oozel showing up in Gloucestershire in, the, <laughs> yeah, uh, in England and the police having to disperse all of the twitchers <laughs> and, you know, and, and the Royal uh, Society for the Protection of Birds had to put out a comment about how they were ashamed of all these twitchers. And I was like, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like obviously our birding chasing community is not as uh, uh, avid, rabid. I suppose you should say <laughs> yeah. rabid. Yeah, and rabid is another way uh, as uh, the, the same community in, uh, in the UK. But, you know, a bird, a, a first, second record seen in a place where there's a lot of people is going to get a fair, you know, a couple dozen at least in the first afternoon. And, you know, like, I feel like I have a responsibility to make sure that those people are doing the right thing. At least like, I don't, I don't, I don't fault them for chasing that bird, but I do like, you got to be responsible when you're there. Hey, here's a, uh, an anecdote um, that I think speaks exactly to that balancing act that you're, you're talking about. Um, I think it was just the other day we got a, a note on our state list from one of our uh, t top birders, Dave Leatherman, who said that uh, Colorado birders need to be more like cedar wax wings. And I thought, oh no, he's going to say we need to you know, form big groups. But uh, this, food. Now, this is this is so Dave. He said we need to be very compliant in wearing our masks. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and then I'll never forget that actually. So he wasn't encouraging us to uh, to uh, gather in big garrulous groups, but instead to just make sure we wear our masks. So uh, something is as simple as that. If you are going to be at this marina where the neotropic cormorant is, um, yeah, space out, um, space out, <laughs> space yourselves, <laughs> uh, you know, six, 10, 20, however many feet you, you, you can do it. And, and if you're out there, um, you should have masks. And if you're going to be uh, using a public restroom, you consider perhaps not doing that, but also having sand sanitizer and the like. So I, I, there's a tendency by all humans, and I think sometimes birders in particular, to sort of take this black and white either or, you know, you have to, you know, stay in your bedroom with the blinds down and, and, and see and hear no birds at all, or you can, you know, continue to do your North American big year. And, and, and the truth is somewhere in between the two there. And um, I 
again, I'm not with you in North Carolina. I'm not exactly sure how this marina works, but I don't understand why a large public marina couldn't accommodate mm-hmm. multiple bird watchers wearing masks, not shaking their hands and otherwise distancing. So they're, they're yelling a, at each uh, other across the, uh, exactly across the like, like you did. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. I think Ted said that very well, but I, I may suggest that the loggerhead strike may, may be a more, you know, <laughs> common, common yellow throat. There's a, there's a wide variety of birds yeah. that we can, uh, we can be like, <laughs> I, and I, I probably botched it when I mentioned it, but it was intended as a joke because wax wings, <laughs> unlike shrikes, are are, That's are highly um, um, right, right. or uh, gregarious. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's the ironic, yes, uh, so, the, yes. the ironic David Leatherman. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ted and Brody. Uh, I hope that you continue to to stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, continue birding. And and thanks for all that both of you are doing for the birding community. I know that we're all kind of feeling our way out into this new situation and, and doing the best we can. So um, thanks for thanks for joining me to talk about it. Thanks so much, Nate. Thanks for having us, Nate. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We are a membership organization, and the best way to support this podcast and the ABA is to become a member. We need you. Now is a great time. We will be forever in your debt. We have regular memberships and e-memberships. We can find you a way to support the ABA that fits your needs as well as ours. You can get more information at aba.org slash join or aba.org slash e-member. I want to make a special shout out to a lot of people, so hold on tight. Robert Rona of Calgary, Alberta, Janica Chick of Victoria, British Columbia, Curtis Faree of Fairfield, Connecticut, Doris Nye of Davis, California, Tania Scheinman of Seattle, Washington, Karen and Matt Venzura of Grand Canyon, Arizona, Michael Giacinto of Marlboro, Massachusetts, Jeremy and Robin Winnick of Westminster, Colorado, Molly Toth of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Richard Cyril of Holliston, Massachusetts, Julie Leite and Severino D'Agostino of Camarillo, California. Was that Camarillo, California? Elise Boca of Huntsville, Utah, Greg Harrington of Seattle, Washington, Andrea Fox and the house. The entire Fox household of Caldwell, Texas, Victoria and Matthew Igleski of Hammond, Indiana, Peter Stoltz of Denver, Colorado, Brett Barber of Tucson, Arizona, Jill Hennemeyer of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Christy Eller of Conemowoc, Wisconsin all of whom joined the ABA recently and noted the podcast as a reason. If you join the ABA and note the podcast as a reason, you can listen to me butcher your name or the town in which you live in in a future episode of the American Birding Podcast. So if that's something that appeals to you, uh, feel free to do that. Thank you all for joining or rejoining the ABA. Welcome or welcome back. One more thing you can do that is really easy, adding us on Amazon Smile means that a small portion of your purchase, big or small, goes to the ABA. If you all do it, it can be quite a bit, and let's be honest, you're ordering from Amazon anyway, so why not do this too? Executive producer and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. In order to help you stay safe from COVID-19, he wants you to wash your hands like a Blackiston's fish owl in a freezing cold stream for upwards of three minutes, ideally gripping an 18-inch pike. Technical production is by John Lowry, who urges all of you to stay close to home like a killdeer nesting in a gravel parking lot. And when anyone gets too close, drag your leg like you've broken it and scream at the top of your lungs until they leave. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who urge you to clean your personal deck like a satin bowerbird, disinfecting, removing anything that is covered in germs or isn't the perfect shade of blue. You can find us online at ABA.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, or on Twitter at ABA. We at the ABA urge you to be like the following birds. Solitary sandpiper, hermit thrush, masked 
to Tyra. Do not be like the following birds. Social flycatcher. Wandering tattler. Barefaced go-away bird. Questions and comments can come to me at podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, everybody. Till next time.